2: The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple.
1: Thanks for hanging out with us on the Catch and Shoot podcast. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast of New York City, Adam Stenko back from vacation out on the West Coast in San Francisco. Adam, what's up, pal? Well, it's kind of always a vacation when I'm out here, Noah. You know, where, I mean, it, that's where how the is, Bay Area is. From sources close to Adam Stenko, your life is a vacation. <laughs> like day to day, working, not working, your life is a vacation.
2: It's just because I'm laid back. I think people just assume that. But uh, if, you, if you were here for the day to day, Noah, totally different picture. Totally different. Right now, I got to keep my son, my two-year-old son, from. Um, I don't even know if I can say this, but he, so then don't.
1: No, probably. So then, won't. then don't. I probably but he's basically I'll, been I'll, saying
2: I'll... some words. He's been saying some words he shouldn't be
1: saying, and oh. it's kind of funny, and I can't stop laughing. Um. Well, my I'll reveal my source. My source was your wife, who said that your life is pretty much a vacation. <laughs> she does like so, that. So think that. She thinks your life is a vacation. It's true. Uh, so. We're going to have Todd McCullough coming up in about, I don't know, about 20 minutes or so. The former Sixers big man who's really just has a a fascinating story coming out of Canada and going to the University of Washington, then four years in the NBA before his career being cut short due to a nerve disorder affecting his feet. But I want to start with the WNBA. And on Sunday, I took Eden, my four-and-a-half-year-old daughter, to her first WNBA game. And we went to the New York Liberty game in Westchester, New York. It's about a 40-minute train ride. And then you walk about five minutes, 10 minutes from the train station out in Westchester, New York. It was the Liberty and the Las Vegas Aces. Mm. So I read her, I read her a game preview on the way out there. We we talked about she she watches a lot of basketball with me. We talk about basketball. We have discussed the Kawhi Leonard Paul George trade, and she's asking about two players, two really good players on each team. And, and is that, is that good? Do you need more? And so we got out there and, and we had a, we had a terrific time and she wanted to stay the whole time. It was a 32 point game. The aces won, but I found her rooting for the Liberty and she doesn't get overly enthusiastic about a lot of things, but I saw her quietly clapping at the right moments for the Liberty when they made shots, when the aces turned the ball over, she has, uh, Liz Cambage, who's the center for the Spark, she has her Sports Illustrated for Kids card. So she was uh. very interested in seeing her in pregame because she was really, uh, we had great seasons. So she was really close to her. And at, at about halftime, she said to me, the, the Aces, Dad, seem really focused and they're really good passers. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, she's, on, she's on top of it and she had a, she had a great time took the train back and forth, and I saved the ticket stubs for her. And she said to me before she went to bed that night on Sunday night, I said, Eden, I had a great time with you. Thanks so much. She said, Dad, I had a great time. I'm never going to forget it. Wow. Great day. Great daddy-daughter day. It was just the two of us.
2: Well, I saw the pictures. They looked amazing. But to hear that she's following in Dad's footsteps, is it seems like did she have cards ready and, and the whole deal, that she was ready to
1: broadcast this thing?
2: <laughs> no, but she does
1: like looking at the broadcast boards before I call games. I'm sure. No, they're
2: they're fascinating. But I, but honestly, Noah, it's uh it's wild because she seems like she has it. Uh, she she has a greater understanding of the game and what's going on than than a lot of people who call
1: games. So and, and then and then she'll flip to. Right then she'll flip to immediately after that. So these three Barbies, they. <laughs> I I like two of their outfits. So she's she's all over the place, and and uh, it's and and I think that's a good thing. What do you what are you going on this week? Vacation was good. Yeah, it was good. We were up in
2: uh, Lake Tahoe. My my wife's uh, boss has a has a house that he rents. Not even rents out. He allows his employees whenever they want to just fill out a Google Doc. They can just go um, whenever it's available. So went for the week and um, made a huge mistake though, Noah. Last day that we were there, Lake Tahoe is an amazing place. There's so much fun stuff to do during the week. Um, last day of the trip, right before we decide to drive back to to the Bay Area. So the drive is can be anywhere between like three, four hours. Uh, we decide to do river rafting. And it's supposed to be like a lazy river. And so our family, my two, two teenage girls, Avery, Bella, and then the two-year-old Hudson and, and Kate and I, uh, we hop on the raft two paddles only one ended up really getting used um so i was doing most of the paddling but this this thing goes about three hours in or something and and about and about 10 minutes into this trip my son um grabs my my sunglasses and tosses them into the water now the water's about three feet deep but it's kind of murky underneath in some spots and can be a little bit dark so I first then jump in, but it's freezing. So I get back in the raft. Then we're looking for it. We sort of get the raft to the side, but it's moving. You know, you, you don't even sure, really sure. have to paddle and it'll push you down the river. So now, so, you know, it's not still water. So then next thing you know, we like get to the side. We go back up and decide we're going to do another run through. And my wife and uh, and Bella, my 13-year-old, d- decide they're both going to get in the water. Nice. Uh, so they both go in to look for the sunglasses so they end up spending we we probably spend like forty five minutes looking for these sunglasses, right. and meanwhile, right. we're like paddling back upstream <laughs> oh, and what so And so paddling man. against the stream- i mean not that you know this yeah wasn't but paddling some... against
1: paddling against any current is work
2: absolutely absolutely that's what I tried to tell the family and uh and as I'm paddling, they're in the water, they're freezing cold the river is freezing and they are shivering and cold and my when my wife had first gone in she went in with like her clothes on so now i mean she had a bathing suit on underneath but now she's got no dry clothes this whole thing was a disaster we don't find the sunglasses we spend about an extra hour then then the two of them are freezing the rest of the trip uh my son's continually trying to throw things off the side we're bumping into branches and rocks and cutting myself up it it was. Um, Oh my! It, God. It well, was, I, it was I, I, I now
1: know I now know how Hudson learned all those words.
2: That, well, exactly, exactly. We get to the end of this thing, though, Noah. And there's maybe literally 30 yards left, and it's like the rockiest point and the most white watery point that it could possibly be. And there is a group, and a lot of people get stuck on rocks. You'd have to help them push out or what have you. And this group was stuck on a rock because their raft like halfway deflated. I don't know if it had a hole in it or what the deal was. And so there was a guy in the water, like holding onto a rock as like the river sort of hitting him. And again, it's right near the end of this where you, you know, bring the raft back to the group. Um, and as we're getting, so I'm sitting there like, do you need help? And he's like, yeah. And so we're, as we're going by him and it's all happening pretty quick, he reaches up with his hand, to, you know, maybe I can help him pull him into our raft. And as I grab him, we hit a rock and I okay. just elevate. Oh, and no. I am floating. And it's one of those moments you're just seeing everything in slow motion. And right in front of me are like two huge rocks as I'm looking face down at them as I'm floating through the air. And boom, smash no. right into the rock. So cut up my knees, my elbow. Oh. And, and I'm like, and this guy is like, immediately they were so concerned everyone else was way more concerned like i was nervous in the air but as as i was coming down uh i realized i think i could be okay and i realized i was okay but i think for my kids it was jarring for these people they're like oh i'm so sorry i'm like no i was trying to help you so and then meanwhile it's like the most shameful experience because then i like hop back in and i'm like struggling to get to the end and meanwhile you have to understand most of the people on this river are floating down with like a cooler, in like you know, little kids are going like eight year olds, and here I am like cut up, like <laughs> on my elbow and and my wait, wait, knees. Did you find
1: your sunglasses?
2: Never found the sunglasses. I sent them a note though, and they said that if the river gets shallow enough, they'll let me know if they see them. In the okay, window. okay. okay. <laughs> Uh, are you are
1: you feeling all right? I'm good, man. I'm good. So when you, when so when are you taking vacation? <laughs> exactly. It's a good good thing you're back to your vacation life being at home. <laughs> oh that's, man. That's what my wife says. Brutal. All right, make sure you check out Mike Wise's show on Mondays on here on Pure Hoops Media. Also Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and the Pure Hoop show with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong. You're not gonna get stories like that. On the other podcast, every one of the podcasts is different. We'll have Todd McCulloch in a moment. All right, here we go. Guys, explain this to me.
2: All right, so Noah, explain this to me. Russell Westbrook to the Miami Heat is
1: a great or terrible idea. I can't figure it out, but i don't I don't think, so if he wants to go to a contender, then I think it's a. I think it's a terrible idea, but it also depends on who is going to still be there because I do like some of their young pieces. So I like Tyler hero. I like Bam mm-hmm. Adebayo. Mm-hmm. They now have, they have Myers Leonard now, right? I think they Myers- have Myers Leonard. That, yep. Right. Yep. He can shoot it. Um, so, I, and, but I think it would also depend on what Goran Dragic's future is. I, I would assume that he'd be out, but so I don't think this team would be a contender. I think they would be pretty much in the same spot in the Eastern Conference where the Thunder would be in the Western Conference. And then of course the the elephant in the room is Westbrook and Jimmy Butler coexisting. And if there seemingly if there's any organization that could handle it, it would be with Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra and the culture that the Heat have built. And the Heat are used to having superstars. Yes. And as long as Dwayne Wade is, I think if if Dwayne Wade is still involved a little bit, I think that can also help. But I would lean, if I had to say, is it a, if you have to lean one way, good or terrible, I'd say terrible.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would sort of lean that way as well. Although I would, I, I'm fascinated by the Butler-Westbrook dynamic in the sense that, Pat Riley loves getting guys that work their tails off and, you know, the stories about how he runs guys, you know, when he was a coach and then even as an executive, what he demands of his players uh, is legendary. And so the idea that he would get two guys that just love to compete like Butler and Westbrook to see those guys playing together um, under Pat Riley and the influence they could have on the organization, I think would be great. It is interesting, though, because, you know, the one thing that Riley has really tried to focus on over the last few years and really tried to draft for is, you know, guys that that compete and play defense and and work their tails off and and guys they can sort of turn into defenders and and. and it'd be fascinating to see what Westbrook would do on the defensive end if he really was focused and had a, the staff that was pushing that constantly. I, I, you know, you could just see right, the potential there. Because
1: that's not something that you – know, I think when the average fan watches a the game, they see Russ's intensity and they think, oh, yeah, he's a great defender. Uh, no, he's he's not. He's actually exactly horrendous Exactly. Uh, Adam, explain this to me. Give me the playoff teams right now. So – pre any russell westbrook trade so as we record this on tuesday july 9th at noon eastern time the playoff teams in the east and west and do you have more faith in the lakers winning the title or the clippers winning the title okay we'll get to the la stuff
2: in a moment but right now so here's here's in the west who I've got and we'll go and I'm basically going to do this no based on who made it last year and if they're going to make it again this year. And then
1: I'm, I'm going to go in when I get my no particular order. Yes. So
2: I'm going just in the order of guys, teams that made it last year. I think warriors get in, um, you know, uh, nuggets get in tra- trailblazers, get in rockets, get in jazz, get in. I think the thunder are out. They were the seed last year. I think the Spurs, get in clippers obviously get in and Lakers get in. So the teams in the West that would be out would be the Thunder, um, the Kings, T-Wolves, Grizzlies, Pelicans, Mavs, Suns. Um, and then on the other side of the docket, I would say that um the Bucks, Raptors, Sixers, Celtics, Pacers all get in. I think the Nets get in. Um, but that one's going to be interesting, but I do think the Nets get in. I'm going to go long shot here. I mean, I know a lot has to depend on what's going on with the heat. You talked about it as being a terrible situation. I'm going to say that the uh, bottom of the East looks like Pistons and Hawks. Um, now maybe the magic have a chance to get in, but I think the Hawks sneak into the, to the playoffs this year. I think, um, it's crazy long shot, but I think that the Hawks end up making the playoffs, and that's my my I guess bold prediction. What about all for right? You? I'm,
1: I'm all right. I'm right there with you in the Western Conference. Same teams. Eastern Conference. I think there are a few locks to be out of the playoffs. Locks to be out of the playoffs. Knicks, Cavs, Wizards, Hornets. Locks out of the playoffs. Yes. I think the. Did I say Hornets. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Hornets, Wizards. Yep. Knicks, totally Cavs. agree. The Hawks and the Bulls, I think, are would be really good stories but for the bulls to make the playoffs that's pretty much a 20 win improvement and without a lebron or kd on your team that's that's pretty difficult to do but i think the bulls will be very much improved and for the hawks to make the playoffs that's about that's about a 12 win improvement and i think the hawks i think the hawks could do it so but right now i would i would stick with bucks raptors sixers celtics pacers nets as in, and yep. then I'm gonna. I do actually think Miami ends up making the playoffs because also with Bam Adebayo taking over full time at center and not having Whiteside around, I think yep. that that does help. Uh And I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep the magic in. And I'm, I don't know. If I've talked about on the show before my work with Mo Bamba, and so I had, last year they relied on a ton of good health. And they're gonna need good health again, and also they relied on good health with DJ Augustine as being a an eighty-two game guy, which so it's so so it's ask so it's asking a lot. Um But I do have I do have a lot of faith in uh, in Steve Clifford, so I'll I'll give them the nod as well. So I'll I'll keep the magic in and and I'll also put the heat in. But I do that that bottom half is gonna be it's gonna be close again because last year it was. 42-42-41 for Nets, Magic, Pistons, and then 39-39 for the Heat. I could, for the Heat and Hornets, I could see something similar to that, again, with the Hawks and the Heat and the Pistons. And the Magic.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, Noah, the, the West, I mean, bef- before we get to this L.A. stuff, like the West is so fascinating to me because you, you're going to have a situation again where you have really good, a, a really good team, I think, a solid team that doesn't get in the way that the West is, is laid out right now. And I, oh, and yeah. I mean,
1: I think, I, I think, I think the Pelicans are going to be a good basketball team. I think, I think the Kings are going to be good. Right. Um, the Mavericks will, will definitely be better. I and, the only and I think that's that what are, comes are down to, to right? be out are, are the, the Suns will be out. And I think, I think the Suns and the Grizzlies are the only two absolute locks to be out. I don't, I don't think the Wolves are going to be that good. Um, but the Grizzlies and the Suns, I think, are the only absolute two locks to be out.
2: Yeah, and 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 also, if you look at the West and say go through those teams and say who improved, obviously Lakers did, obviously Clippers did, obviously Jazz did. Uh, the Blazers get get Whiteside. Um, you know, uh, the Nuggets are going to be older and more mature. And think about how young they were as a two seed in the playoffs last year. So also, and also,
1: and also, be- also the the Blazers are getting back Nurkic.
2: Yes. Injury, yes. So, so
1: I, I yeah. think I think that's significant.
2: I mean, they lose Alfred Camino and they lose, you know, um, uh, Harkless and they, and they lose Myers Leonard, um, but you'll take that trade to have Whiteside and Nurkic in a moment. So I, 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 it's just remarkable to me. And then how about the Spurs? They get DeJounte Murray back. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, someone else is. Uh, oh, and then Lonnie Walker too uh returning for the Spurs plus you now got a year under their belt of of um to Rosen and and Aldridge so I just think the improvement for most of the teams in the west is what's kind of shocking and there's gonna be a lot of really good teams obviously it's gonna be great year and all the parity thanks to Kawhi which I guess Noah leads us to the second part of this that you asked me I I believe in the Clippers more than I do the Lakers and I know that with Avery Bradley and JaVale McGee and Rajan Rondo, and we see more and more of these moves the Lakers made to fill out their roster. I like what they did. Um, and I think they're solid players for the value. But I think at the same time, I love this Clippers lineup. And and you point at Kawhi and you point at um obviously Paul George, but like between those guys and Patrick Beverly defensively, and then you know, you talk about Harrell uh up front, then Zubac, makes his return, uh, he re-signs with the Clippers. And then just a, a string of young guys that you really have to like, Landry Shamit, Jerome Robinson, and I love Fiondu Cavangeli. And so we mentioned all those guys and don't even mention Lou Williams. So this team, I think, is deep. I think they can play defense. They can go big. They can go small. I like everything about the Clippers Maybe somewhat inexperienced when it comes to championship pedigree, but then again, what team is that way? And then you go and say, well, wait a minute. No, they've got Kawhi Leonard who just won finals MVP.
1: They won 48 games last year, <laughs> <laughs> right? And where, where their best player was Tobias Harris for half the season. And then, and then Lou Williams carried him in fourth quarters. So they won 48 games last year, 48. So that, that was, and, and they, I mean, they got into the playoffs as the eighth seed. But that was still nine games better than than the Kings, who finished in the ninth spot. You 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 win forty eight games and you keep Lou Williams and you add Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. That to me is a greater championship contender. And you've also built a culture where the Lakers have not. And the Lakers have a first year head coach. Well, first year head coach with with them. He, he coached right. two other spots than Frank Vogel. Who knows how LeBron's going to get along with Frank Vogel, and then you're going to have Jason Kidd there. And what happens if Anthony Davis or LeBron get hurt? You're relying on the two of them. And I also don't think the Lakers are going to be defending anybody. So I think, it's, I think it's clear that the Clippers are more of a contender. All right, let's fly through these other two. Uh, explain this to me. A disgruntled star isn't the death of a franchise.
2: Noah, the best executives continue to amaze me in this league. For years, it was Danny Ainge, right? We saw what he did with Isaiah Thomas and with Avery Bradley and guys. He knew he was going to have to overpay for players, and I think that lesson is sort of carried on to other other executives. And I just am amazed at what David Griffin has done in New Orleans. When we look back at what his situation was a few months ago, what Dell Demps was dealing with, like, oh, Anthony Davis wants to leave. And his contract's up next year. Sorry, Pelicans, you're you're done, and no one's going to want to play there. And good luck with your future. And boom, now look at the position that they're in—not with, just with Zion, but with all that young talent. Jackson Hayes had the amazing dunk in summer league, but but more so the assets and the draft picks. Then go to um, what the Thunder have done. Same situation. Paul George apparently didn't you know want to be there. Well. They turned, or maybe he even did, but they said, "Well, I don't know about right now, but what we have to do is start building for the future." And the haul they got back with, you know, four first rounders, pick swaps, Danilo Gallinari's expiring twenty-two million dollar deal, and then Shea gilgis Alexander, like they built themselves a future. You look at all the draft picks now the Thunder have. uh, It's remarkable what Sam Presti's done. So I just, I think it used to be, oh, a guy wants to leave, you know, Carmelo wants to leave the Nuggets, like, okay, well, we're done. I don't know what we can do. Like, we'll just give him up or, or you know what, maybe we'll let him ride it out. Look at what the Spurs did with, you know, uh, Kawhi. Like, yeah, he won a championship with Toronto, but they ended up getting DeMar DeRozan out of the deal, Jakob Pertl, and uh, a draft pick in the first round, which ended up being Keldon Johnson. So I just think over and over again, we've seen these teams succeed in situations when they have good executives and the star doesn't want to be there.
1: Right, except the Knicks. Right. With with KP. So Pratengus didn't want to be there. And so they made that they made that move and, and got rid of them and didn't get back a, I mean they got back some, but didn't get back nearly what Paul George brought the thunder, and then they weren't able to fill those two spots because I do think that they made those decisions thinking that Kyrie and, and KD were coming to the Knicks. So yeah, it's not it's certainly it's not a death sentence. We don't know where those we don't know where those picks are going to be, and presumably for the, for the Thunder, those picks are going to be in the 20s because of the Clippers' success. But look at what the Nets built with picks at yes. post-lottery picks and in the 20s. So you, you, get, you get a bunch of those shots, and if you can get two starters post-lottery, then you set, set yourself up for success and, and also an identity.
2: And those picks could ultimately be used to package to get something else down the line.
1: Exactly, sure.
2: Um, Noah, explain this to me. The Vegas Summer League is in trouble.
1: Which seems like the opposite of what we see and hear, that Summer League is booming. But where's the, where's max capacity? Where's the point of no return for the Summer League? So it used to be, well, now I mean there were, were a thousand media credentials for Summer League, and the concourses are filled, and you're you're filling the buildings with you know tens of thousands of people, and it's an experience for the fans who don't get that close to these players, oftentimes during the regular season. But also, so Zion plays nine minutes, bangs his knee, shut down. Um, Jared Culver's not playing. How? How much can you actually think going in buying these tickets that if you buy them for more than one game or you know, you buy it for the first game of the number one pick? All right, well, so you expect to see them for 15 minutes is that worth the whatever it was like $400 on scalp tickets? And I don't know how much the open market tickets are for. Um, it's well, are they are they going to price themselves out and is the experience going to become too much? Because I then I start thinking for media purposes and I, and I wasn't there this year does the g league showcase become the next thing that where all the media goes because the executives are there and then that becomes that becomes the next thing for the media but certainly won't be the same thing for the fans but i start wondering like you know we talk about it all the time with players sitting out on the road because you can't do it at home and that experience for fans and how disappointing it is well if these fans this is if for some of these people it's their only shot to see some of these players because of for you know financial reasons if the, so if they're going to spend any amount of money and then not see these guys or go in with these big question marks and then not be able to resell tickets i think it could be in trouble
2: yeah it's it that's it, it's such an interesting point when you when you brought it up to me and i don't know we'll we'll see how this this whole thing shakes out i'm i'm really curious to see what kind of trends we get in the next few years in terms of star players sitting out summer league and how much you know, this is the direction that organizations want to go.
1: All right, coming up, Todd McCulloch. We're joined now by Todd McCulloch, the 47th overall pick in the 99 draft out of Washington, went to the Philadelphia 76ers, spent four years in the league, one with the Nets, and he went to two finals, one with the Sixers in 01, one with the Nets in 2002, both lost to the Lakers, but he's got plenty of stories, I'm sure. His career was cut short due to nerve damage in his foot, and we'll get to that, of course. But, Todd, first, how, how do you pronounce your last name?
0: I pronounce it McCulloch. If you asked my wife, she would say McCullough. Uh, when my mother was alive. She said McCullough. My father says McCulloch, and my brother says McCulloch. So I had to make a... I had to make a choice. I just assumed that it was McCullough because that's what I heard my mom say. And then I heard my father say, this is Sandy McCullough calling. And I had, I was like, Mom, you say it. McCullough, it's softer. It's got an uh at the end. It's it's more pleasing. It's less harsh. But I think it's not a Loch Ness monster, right? It's a Loch Ness monster. So I asked my brother, you know, do you do the, you know, this this way, the Canadian way, or do you do it the the Scottish way? And my brother plays the bagpipes and, um, you know, wore a kilt and, uh and so he went McCulloch, so I'm like, all right, I guess I'm a McCulloch now. And my wife is like,
2: eh, we were, you know, we were dating,
0: and I think we were engaged at the time. She's like, I think I'm going to stay with McCulloch. It's softer. And so now my kids have to make a decision if they're McCulloch or McCulloch. Either, uh, either, and then when I got, I, I think when I was with the Sixers, I think they said McCulloch. Uh, my friend Matt Cor, the P announcer, did a, did a great job. And then I think when I got to the Nets, uh, I think the... Um, uh, Gary asked me how I wanted to pronounce it. And I, and I said, I, I'd like to pronounce McCulloch, please, if I score, if I happen to score a basket. And um, and then uh, <clears throat> I think I, the game goes on and I score a basket. And Todd McCullough, and I talked to him after. I was like, Gary, uh, I thought we talked about it. He's like, well, I, the NBA told me this is how it's to be pronounced. That's how it was. And I'm like, so I can't even tell you how to pronounce my name. Don't I even have control of that anymore?
1: Think, Wait, uh, so what so What have your your kids chosen?
0: Well, I, I haven't asked him specifically, although I did check my son into a, a camp today, a little uh, a Nerf a Star Wars camp that I kind of wanted to stay and play because it's like right up my alley. Um, and they asked him, you know, his name, and he said, "I'm Dylan McCulloch." So, uh, so he's sort of taken that side of the family, the, the Scottish, the Scottish side. Like I said, it's a Loch Ness monster, not a Loch Ness
1: monster. Yeah, I think that's yeah. Right? I yeah. mean,
0: I'm O C H, uh, and there are a lot of McCulloughs or McCullochs that are O U G H, and I can kind of see the uh. If you're an O U G H, I see that, but if you're an O C H, I think that's an knock.
2: I think this is amazing because Noah, as you, I know how particular you are about pronunciations as a play-by-play guy. How would you have handled this, Noah? I'm just We're curious. Just, just ask the ask the player. I think that's the right move, right? And then and then
1: sometimes you get ah whatever you want, and I say to the player. No, it's not whatever I want. It's your name. <laughs> whatever I will, I will call you Julie. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> whatever I want. You don't. You don't want me to call you whatever I want.
2: <laughs> yeah, you definitely don't want, definitely don't want that. You uh, Definitely don't want that. Todd, when uh, when we were doing research for for this interview, we came across so many interesting nuggets, and obviously we'll get to a bunch of them. But but one that I found incredibly fascinating was that you had said that your provincial championship in high school was the highlight of your career. Can you explain to me why that is?
0: Yeah, I think that was just based on my reaction and my excitement. So I went to Shaftesbury High School in Winnipeg and it was not known as an athletic school. I went to a kind of a, a junior high school that was just, I was in a new neighborhood and it was created and it was a bunch of kids from my neighborhood that went to this brand new school and we all loved basketball. My friends loved it more than I did at the time. I was athletic, tall, had played all sports and so my friends wanted to play basketball i'm like all right i guess that's what we're doing and i i, I did well with coordination and height and, and hands and and uh soft touch and all, you know all those other amazing things about how great i was but anyway i'm just joking and so we end up uh getting having a pretty good junior high team and you know winning the conference and so now this high school has now a confluence a confluence of a new junior high feeder program and we um we Ended up having a pretty good junior high team, and now we sort of mixed with some of those existing, and now all of a sudden we have a contender. And but we're going up against uh, schools that were, you know, prominent and had won a bunch of championships. And I just seemed like Shaftesbury had never won any provincial championships in basketball. And are we going to be able to do this? And unfortunately, we. I was, you know, I ended up I was six feet at the start of ninth grade, and then six six at the end of ninth grade. So crazy. Growth spurt there where I was growing about an inch a month at school, and I could only finally dunk as a when I got to six six six. But I get to high school, and and uh, another little side note: we're not allowed to dunk. Dunking is banned in the uh, Saint James the conference. They they got tired of replacing broken backboards, so dunking was illegal. If you dunked, it was a technical foul, and we were blowing out some team. And I decided to dunk anyway. I missed the dunk and got a technical. My coach is like, "What are you doing?" what are you doing? You know you can't do that. So I like non-conference games and other conferences because I could – and it kind of gave me an excuse. I wasn't a very explosive player, and dunking wasn't something that I excelled at. So it kind of gave me an excuse, like, eh, "I don't dunk because I'm not allowed to." Yeah, that's that's why. But I did break a backboard one time, though, and maybe that's why they they didn't want people dunking. So anyway, um, I just we are good, and we're winning, and we have a. I'm by this by my senior year, I'm I'm this height. I'm six uh, eleven and thirteen thirteen sixteen. So like I am now. I think I was six nine as a junior,
1: and I had a teammate
0: that was six eight. So in this. City of six or seven hundred thousand people, one high school that hasn't done anything basketball now has the tallest two players uh, in the province playing together, as well as a really good support staff and or you know supporting players. And we we're, now we end up in the final against Daniel McIntyre, and they had won the championship the year before. They were dominant, and I just didn't. I mean, I I knew we had a chance, but I just thought they're the best, and uh, we end up winning 61-59. I had 50 in the final, so I think. Part of it was that I had a really good game, and we're up by three with about three seconds left, and we're going to win. And my stupid friend, Jeff Cron fouled their best player, shooting a three, basically at the buzzer, and I wanted to strangle him. And unfortunately, he made one miss two, and all we had to do was inbound it, and so with me being... Six nine, they threw it up in the air. I grabbed it, and then the clock went off, and I just couldn't believe that the game was over, that we had won, that we were provincial championships, and it was an out of body experience that I had not, you know, had not happened in my sporting life. And as I went on to all, you know, I got lucky. We, we, I went to an tournament, and I was lucky enough to go to the finals twice, and I got to play in the Olympics. And at no point did I ever feel that same feeling of elation where I feel like my felt my feet left the ground, I ran around crazy, and it was just so surreal, and so I think that's why I made that comment, is I was just, it was the most excitement I'd felt, and it was the most out-of-this-world experience from a sports where I was just overtaken by emotion, and I couldn't quite recapture that. Um, although I'm, I'm very proud of all of the uh, all of the teams that have been on all the things that we've accomplished that one just I, I I was just on a natural high for quite a while after that championship and then we went on to repeat as provincial championships the next year But I'd uh, you know I'd put on a few dozen pounds and I think I had 13 in the final and I was more relieved that we that we won and that uh, I wasn't as good as a senior as I probably was as, as a junior So I needed to get back in shape before uh, before joining the Pac-10
2: Todd, I'm, I'm sure Noah has a follow-up about a bunch of that stuff, but is that the same friend, Jeff, who uh, was trying to win a radio contest by getting the most famous person to call in? <laughs> and...
0: Yes, yes, that is the same one. Hey, buddy, I need your help. What do you need your help with? Oh, I got this uh, – there's a radio promotion in Vancouver here, and the, and the goal is to have the most famous person call in, and if they determine it, we get tickets to a hockey game for the Olympics. And so will you help me? I'm like – yeah, sure, buddy, but I'm not, you know, in Winnipeg in my hometown or maybe in Philly or maybe, you know, it was Vancouver. I don't even know if people – he's like, no, man, get Steve Nash to call in for me. I'm like, you <laughs> suck <laughs> friend.
2: I disown
0: you. I don't – you know. And he was like, what? He didn't even He didn't even hit him, like, why? I would be offended, but I really wasn't. <laughs> I thought it was actually pretty funny.
1: <laughs> Have you is – there, is there a video of that provincial championship when you dropped – uh,
0: I – uh, I think I do. I think I probably do have it on VHS and that was 1993. So if it hasn't just disintegrated, I do need to transfer all of that, all of those game films to, well, I guess DVDs are basically absolute. So to some sort of uh, digital media, but I, I do, uh, I'm pretty sure I have that one on tape. I, I, w- I want
1: to um, know if you've, how often you bring that up to Jeff and if he is, if he had seen that tape since. Okay.
0: Um, I yeah, Maybe bring it up that. every now and then. I mean, if if they if he had hit all three free throws and we have lost, I think we probably wouldn't be friends anymore. But I, yeah. I like to uh, rub in. I'd like to bug him that I also won the uh, juggling championship at our school we had a school of jugglers we had a teacher mr. maters who was awesome and he's like hey guys uh, we're gonna have juggling club after school if anybody wants to learn to juggle um, we're gonna teach though anyone who's interested and I'll have a whole bunch of levels if you can complete this trick in this amount of time then you'll get level one so it, the school just kind of got bit by the juggling bug and we were known as the school of jugglers and then there was just, you know I don't know 50 100 people that would stay after school and learn all these tricks and then we thought we'd have a juggling competition. And so uh, Jeff was probably the best technical juggler. He had, you know, he could do, I don't know if he could do five, but he, he could, he was really, really good. He could do juggling pins and, and things. And I was uh, i was more of a performer. I, I had, you know, pretty good skills, but I was a good performer. And so it came down to the final. And the whole school judged and uh, I could juggle basketball because I have giant hands. And when I finally dropped, I went and did a layup. I think I actually missed the layup, um, <laughs> but I won on performance. And he thought it was BS that it was, you know, that people voted for me because I could juggle basketball. I'm like, I was just a better performer than you. Technic- you know, it's not all about that. It's about the judges. So,
1: How many basketballs?
0: Uh, three, three. And so I, you know, that's, that's tricky because they, they, they got to bump into each other and you got to be able to sort of palm it. So I, I haven't done that in a while, but I think juggling probably, it probably helped my hands in my ability to catch the basketball, which was something that I was sort of known for. And I think that probably didn't hurt that. I spent a lot of time working on juggling tricks and uh, working on hand-eye coordination.
1: Yeah. I didn't, so imagine. That, that didn't hurt. What about being, so you said in, in ninth grade, you, you started as six foot and yeah. You ended up at six six at the end of ninth grade so growing up what and, and being taller and, and bigger than everybody else what, what was what was that like off the field of competition for you? how'd you handle that?
0: Uh, it was, I was. I'm from a tall family. My father is six six. He may have shrunk to six five now. Um, I, I have an older brother who's actually in the uh, Canadian Air Force. He's six six, so he's kind of pushing the limits of of uh, you know fitting into some of those uh, cockpits in military aircraft. And my mother, when she was alive, was five foot eleven. Uh, my dog was about one foot two. Chainsaw Yorkshire Terrier he once got his tongue stuck <laughs> to a stop sign pole. It was so cold. I'm like, you're trying to kill us both. He's looking at me like, hey, my hair's stuck. And I'm like,
1: he, he did the dumb and dumb.
0: He did the Dumb and Dumber, yeah, or the or the (laughs) Christmas Story, and he got his tongue stuck to the pole. And I'm like, now we're both gonna freeze. So I had to I had to yank his tongue out. True true story. And uh, and then speaking of a Christmas Story, I mean, well, I'll just jump ahead a little bit. I was doing radio with uh, uh, Tom McGinnis, who I absolutely love. He was, uh, is, and was the still is the play play by play
1: friend of Uh, our podcast. Right, and a guest, and a guest on our podcast, yeah
0: he's uh he's amazing i miss him and i miss working with him and uh, one day we were we were playing the Houston Rockets he and i were you know behind the desk back when we got to sit front row which was you know a great way to watch nba games and do radio and yao ming ran by us and he's a big man and he's like, Todd, look at his legs. I'm like, Yeah, Tom, those are some, those are some big legs right there. And he's like, Yeah, look, look how big they're. I'm like, Yeah, Tom, you've seen a Christmas story, right? And he goes, Nope. And I'm just dumbfounded that anybody could say no to that question because it runs on TBS 24 hours a day every Christmas. And how could Tom say no? And so I'm just dead air. And you guys know, dead air on radio is not good. So mm-hmm. I got, I, I don't know, you know, how to respond to him saying no to that movie. And he's like, Well, go, you know, go on. What's, what's your, what's your point? Like, why are you bringing that up? I'm like, Well, Tom, in the movie, there's a leg lamp. For and if it was modeled after Yao Ming's leg, it'd be like a giant leg lamp And he's like, all right, can we get back to the game? There's an NBA game going on here And I'm like, I'm gonna get fired. This is my first year. Away. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm gonna I'm gonna lose my job and uh, and then my buddy texted me he's like dude, I almost drove off the road Because I think everybody at home knew what I was talking about, but uh, Tom just hadn't seen that movie at the time um, So anyway, just, I just I jump and digress and you know, I advanced a few years there.
1: But but growing but growing up was it was, oh, it, right. was it was it difficult on you emotionally ever.
0: No, I had nice people around me that didn't make fun of me uh, tall family um, was always playing some sport, some season so I was always coordinated and I, I didn't I didn't really go through a gangly phase I mean I, I was stretching out quickly but I kept my coordination uh, the kids were nice to me uh, for the most part I was nice to them and so people weren't giving me a hard time but I, mean, I definitely stood out in the in the hallways and uh, I think you just you only have your own perspective and you don't really know what the optics are like on the other side um, I'm going to digress again, and then I'm going to remember what the question was and actually come back. But I but I kind of get it now. My, my roommate in college was Patrick Femmerling, teammate, seven foot from Germany. And one day, you know, it, it's normal. If we're in this apartment with a bunch of basketball players around the court, you're used to height. But then in a normal situation, a real world, um, we're on campus, University of Washington. And from across, across the quad, I just see this giant man, this seven-footer, just towering over these five-foot students. I'm like... I can't take my eyes off. I'm just staring at this this guy, and I'm like, that guy is so tall. I'm like, oh, I get it. This is what people do to me. So, okay. I kind of put my put it in perspective of of you know, people look at you a certain way. But people were nice, and um, and I stayed athletic, and I you know, I had uh, I, I I did well in sports, and I think that helped my confidence. And so it wasn't it wasn't tough. It was uh, it was the it was on the you know, not the blotter, but uh, just. The current status, like how tall is? The, hey guys, I I grew another inch. I'm I'm six two today. Like, hey, great! And then two months later, hey guys, I'm six three. I got measured last night. Nice. So a friend of mine made me a T-shirt that said I'm six nine. Yes, I play basketball, and the weather's fine up here. So I've still got that uh, got that T-shirt. It's a little <laughs> a little outdated now, but it, it doesn't fit either. Nothing fits anymore. I, in fact, I have a jersey up at a local establishment here. On um, Bainbridge, and uh, and a friend of mine went. They were there with their daughter, and he's like, "Hey, Camden, this is uh, that's that's your friend, uh, my friend Todd's jersey there." And she's like, "That's not his jersey. He can't fit in that." <laughs> <laughs> so that's really true. That's quite sadly true. And then you know, sometimes, well, you got to prove who you are. Sometimes I was at the the pool in Winnipeg, and I think I was about this height. I think it was my senior year. So on this height. I don't have any ID on me, right? Because I'm in the swimming pool, and this kid comes up to me. He's probably six maybe seven eight he's not that old and he goes hey man you're pretty tall i go yeah actually i, I am uh, how tall are you i said i'm i'm a seven feet tall and he's like that's nothing and I, i'm like what do you mean that's nothing i mean the next tallest guy in the province you know is my high school teammate who's six eight and i'm like what, what do you mean that's nothing he's like i know a guy who's seven four i'm like really who's seven four he said todd mcculloch I said, well, that's me, I'm Todd McCulloch He's like, no, you're not The guy's four. you just told me you're 7 feet I'm like, no, I'm Todd McCulloch And he's like, oh yeah? What number do you wear? I'm like, does he mean freshman year? I was 43 Does he mean, senior? I'm 50, I'm number 50 And he goes, nope, that's not his number I go, yes it is, that's my number What are you talking about? He's like, I've been to the guy's house it says 62, right on the backboard I said, that's my address, my dad painted it on the backboard When the backboard covered the numbers And he's like, oh yeah? Who's your uh, who's your driver's ed instructor? I said her name was Mrs. McCaig. goes, yeah, that's my mom. She apparently exaggerated. I'm sorry. You have a nice day. <laughs>
1: so
0: sometimes you got to prove you know who you are. You get a little you get a little confused.
2: It's incredible. Sometimes. Uh, Todd, the only the only height question that I had for you was that I read in an article about how you have spent entire flights in the airplane bathroom. <laughs>
0: Oh, man, you guys did do your homework. Um, I wouldn't oh, say entire. higher. I wouldn't say the entire. You can't start out there, right? You got to be in your seat. Otherwise, you're like, hey, where's Todd? We got to find him. Um, so you got to wait. Bing. Okay, now you can move around the cabin. But you know, you guys probably you guys are probably the average height and average.
1: Width. Mm, I'm, you- I'm, shorter, I'm shorter than average height.
0: Okay, so you have lots of room on an airplane. Yeah. But it, oh, is yeah. it me or are, the, or are the seats getting tighter? Are they are they trying
1: it, to, they to maximize profits?
0: Oh my gosh it's getting it's getting crazy you know but i don't want to i don't want to pay for first class right you know it's free in the bathroom right so i mean you're all we're all going to the same place and i can stick it out for a couple hours so i'm um, going to this pinball tournament which i do and, and i i stayed up late and you know telling pinball stories and i'm exhausted by the time it's coming home and i think i'll be smart and get a bulkhead seat and get a little extra leg room well that helps you with the length but if you're you know wide like i am then you have got these fixed armrests these are things you guys probably don't even think about um, the fixed armrest because the tray can't come down from the seat in front of you because there isn't yep. one so they're in the armrest And so those are fixed. They don't move. You can't move it up You can't I can't share the seat of the person next to me whether they want to or not So I'm just wedged in there and that causes Paralysis and it causes you know numb butt and I can't feel you know the bottom half of my leg So I can only sit there for you know an hour and a half before I completely lose feeling. So I'm like, you know what the, The crapper's got more room than this. This is ridiculous. So I learned this little trick. Go back there, put the seat down. It actually, you know, the circulation there's pretty good. I don't know if they're just bringing fresh air from outside in there, but they don't smell that bad. So I'm just sitting there, there's you know, good hip room and decent leg room, but I'm like, look, this it's probably illegal for me to just sit in here and, and deny people of a real basic need, even though there's another bathroom over there. So what, what's my solution? I'm gonna leave the door open, unlocked, and ajar. It's just gonna be, not open, I'm gonna leave it ajar and unlocked. So when someone opens it, I'm going to know, and so I'm sitting there, and then oh no, you're not disturbing me, and I would get up, and I would then they would do their business, and then and I would return to the seat, and then this would happen as long as I was conscious and I could recognize their need, but I guess on this pinball trip I had stayed up too late and was sleepy, and I put my head in my hands, and I I must have conked out, and now. The movie's over, and the the other line for the other bathroom is now probably 20 passengers long, including my pinball buddy, who's at the back of that line, and he's like, no, not happening. No, you know what? I think I know what's going on. My stupid friend, I think he's asleep in that one. I'm not waiting this line. Wake him up. She's like, what? Wake him up. So I hear this, you know, panic knock at the door, and I'm like, I wake up, and I'm like, where am I? I've hit a new low at thirty thousand feet. I think I fell into the laboratory. So I peek my head out. And she's like, Did you fall asleep? And I was like, I may have dotted off. She's like, I think you should go back to your seat. I said, I think I'm going to go back to my seat now. She's like, That's a good idea. So I went back to my seat, mm. and then I couldn't use the facilities again. Um, I was on. A, so you know, you got, you got to So my goal the next year was to not fall asleep. In, uh, in the lavatory and I, I succeeded in that one and then uh, I was just on a flight with my wife here recently and then the cart was you know we're flying coach again because that's how we roll and their cart was blocking the lavatory for the, uh, the, the uh, not first first-class passengers and so I thought, you know, I think legally I can use first class. If I'm impeded and I can't get to my one, I think I can use first class. And so I walk up there past all the first class passengers, and there's a couple flight attendants there in the, their area talking. And I say, hey, I'm in the back there, but is it okay if I use this? They're like, sure, no problem. So I go in, and I think the bathrooms are getting smaller. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're getting smaller. So I, my shoulder's hitting the roof, and I can't I can't even figure out a way to turn my body or contort to, you know, use this this thing. So I'm trying to figure out how to do it, and bing, 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 bing. I'm hearing all these bings and boops, and I'm like, what? what?" Normally, they happen on an airplane, but this is happening pretty frequently, and all of a sudden, there's an urgent knock on the door, I'm like, what? And they're like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to go. And you guys are banging on the door, like, because you hit the emergency button fifty times. Like every time <laughs> I moved my shoulder, I hit the help, help, help. And they're like, well, we figured you probably hit it, but then you hit it so many times, we thought you needed help. I'm like, I did not uh, need help. I need you to leave me alone so I can go. So I didn't even go and ended up talking to them for the next hour. They were super nice, and and then I ended up actually going to the back. The cart had cleared by the end of that, and I could go to.
1: The well, why don't you just get an exit, Rosie?
0: Um, I do, I I do that as much as I can when you're traveling. I mean, my kids are a little older now; uh, they're 11 and 9. But when they're little, you cannot sit in an exit row seat. Uh, with you know, if your family's on board, I think you know you have to like travel on a separate reservation because if your family's on board, they won't let you sit in an exit row. And I I think I don't know if the thinking is that you know you're going to be more concerned with going to get your family and not getting on the plane. And you're going to stop people, so uh, so we have to like you know pretend like we don't know. Just like hey. Lady, uh, you have some nice children there. Why don't you go sit with them, and I'll take the exit row. So have to or sometimes have to book separate reservations so I can get an exit row. But now the kids are a little older, and uh, I can sit there, and, um, yeah, so it's good. I, I was on a flight somewhere, and it was a short flight. And uh, the other thing about exit row seats that you may not know is you're not allowed to have a seatbelt extension. And, um, you, you know, if you're anywhere else in the plane and your seatbelt won't fit because you have a, a tummy like I do, then you can request one. But if you're an exit row and you request one, they say, oh, "I'm sorry, we're gonna to have to reseat you. You can't sit there." So, um, so first thing I do when I get extra row seat is like, you know, have I been good? Have I been swimming? Have I been eating good this week? Is the seat belt gonna fit right? And they're all different, different planes, different lengths. So I, I like I click it. and I'm like, good, I can sit here, right? But sometimes I don't really want to move, um, you know. So you just kind of try and like cover it with a pillow and make it look like it's connected, which isn't gonna do well if the plane goes down. But I'm, you know, I'm sitting there and I try. I, I, this seatbelt will not fit, and I'm in the front row, I'm in the front eggs row, and I'm, I'm facing the flight attendant, and I can't get it to click, and I'm like, "Darn it, I got to fake it. I got to act like it's connected. I can't ask questions, you know, for a for a connector, uh, a, connect a uh, extension." And so it's a short flight, it's about an hour or so, and I'm talking to the flight attendant. She's very nice, and I think we have a good rapport going. And then all of a sudden, it's time to land. Bing, and she, you know, she's sitting right in front of me in their jump seat. Or, She's looking at me and she's like, Can you just uh, do up your seatbelt? And I'm like, Oh, yeah, right, yeah. I know for a fact this is not happening. I've already tried. And so I'm just like, eh, 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 eh. And I'm like, Do you have an extension? She's like, you know, Her first thing it was like, Oh, yes, I do. And then then it comes, to, she puts it together. She's like, Ah, wait a second you've been lying to me this whole, she's not, this is what I think that she's thinking, right? Like if you need one now, you probably needed one when we took off and your seatbelt hasn't been done up this whole time and you weren't supposed to be sitting there. I'm like, these peanuts, they're really fattening. And I, I a lot on this. flight. I don't know what happened. It fit on the way out. And I don't know the, the chicken sandwich. And so I just, she, she seemed so disappointed in me. I mean, she was, we were, I was being nice. She was nice. And then she just felt like I had been lying through this whole flight and her opinion of me just changed. And I'm like, Hey, she does this woman doesn't like me anymore. she feels like I've been lying about my she-filled <laughs> situation
1: How's your health dad?
0: It's okay. it's okay. I know I drop a few um i still you know I'm still battling uh, neuropathy, which is the, what what caused the uh my demise from the n b a and so I'm still dealing with that, so that's you know it's nerve. Uh, irritation I kind of feel like I'm wearing a shoe size five sizes too small or feel just feet just feel um, Compressed and irritated and I sometimes I felt like I'd walked a marathon just they just felt sore and and then parts of my feet would be Numbness and I, I think I stepped on a pinball bulb one time I was in some flip-flops and i i a pinball bulb from one of my games had fallen on the ground I popped it and stepped on it and uh, then I went to physiotherapy later and the physiotherapist said do you want me to remove this shard of glass that's in the bottom of your foot and i was like yeah you know i don't feel it but um you know it's probably causing an infection so uh so there's some there's some sort of some dead areas and then some other areas that are sort of you know burning and tingly and and so i've sort of been learning about how nerves can be you know some nerves that got completely damaged can be sort of severed in a sense where they don't have any that's where you get numbness and then other ones have been damaged and the signal has to really amp up or ramp up and that's when you get a lot of uh, you know sort of shooting pain so uh, you know discomfort and um yeah so I I've I've been trying all sorts of things to try and deal with the neuropathy and lessen it but it, there have been some things that I've done that have uh, that have sort of lessened it and made it more made it more bearable and so uh, so there has been some improvement on the you know as science improves and as it, it, you know, neuropathy affects a lot of people. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of people with uh, with cancer and and the chemotherapy. That's one of the side effects can be neuropathy, and so it's affecting lots of people as well as uh, diabetic people. So there has been some research and some funding going towards uh, trying to lessen those things for for people. So I'm always trying to figure out, you know, how I can uh, get that a little little better. But you know, I'm able to. Uh, you know, try. I don't. I don't move very quickly, but I, I'm able to try and chase my kids around uh, a little bit. So I don't. Uh, I don't jump and I don't run. Um, I try and walk brisk briskly, and I, you know, I try and keep up with my uh, my active children as best. I, I wish that I could be able to do more um, with them, but I, I do the best I can with uh, with what my feet allow me to do.
1: Are there good days and bad days, or every day is pretty much the same?
0: Um, It's pretty much the same right now, so I kind of it doesn't you know fortunately it doesn't keep me up at night And it doesn't wake me up in the morning But then you know as soon as I I, my feet are pretty pretty sensitive and so I right on the side of my bed I just keep my sandals and it's difficult for me to be uh, barefoot and so I'll, I'll put my sandals on kind of from uh from morning until night and until until recently running shoes were quite uncomfortable and I re- you know that used to be my i don 't know about you guys, but running shoes are what I wore if I was in basketball court is basketball other than that it was running shoes they were the most comfortable thing I had and then something changed when with, when the neuropathy uh, started, and they just seemed really compressing and really oppressive and uncomfortable and uh just you know with some of the recent treatments i 've been doing kind of been able to put the running shoes on for a little while and maybe you know maybe go. Play nine holes of golf uh, with a cart, and and be able to do some uh, do some activities um, in them. So that so that's been a positive change to just have you know the sensitivity be decreased a little bit, where that's not so bothersome, and and you know socks can be socks can feel very uncomfortable, and they just kind of feel restrictive. And so I think the open toe sandals have been, you know, I, I there's you know it's all perspective, right? There's there's times when I you know I feel really bad for myself and getting my career cut short and then you look at it, the world and and some of the real terrible things that, that people have gone through and tragedies and and um you know people that don't have limbs and and one woman in particular I think I may have been ESPN that did a story on her and and she had uh, I think it was the the layman's term was man on fire disease there was a more scientific term but basically her whole body just felt like it was on fire all the time and it was it was just Terrible, and so she, to overcome it, she started running marathons, and and it was uncomfortable for her to wear running shoes, so she ran them in sort of sport sandals. And they asked her, like, you know, how can you run a, a marathon in sandals? She's like, I don't know, that's just the most comfortable thing, you know, for me. And so I, I think on one hand, it put things in perspective. You know, this woman has this terrible pain all the time, everywhere in her body. Um, but I could sort of relate from from the feet perspective. Like, I, it sort of made sense that you know, I, for me, that's the most comfortable thing that I've found, and I've kind of been wearing sandals for the last 15 years. And um, so I have to just try and put things in perspective with uh, you know, with all the terrible things that people are having to suffer through. That uh, maybe sore feet isn't. Uh, I gotta, I gotta kind of keep things in perspective.
1: Understandable, but it's 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 more than sore feet. So let, let's go back to when you had to retire. What was your your first day of retirement like
0: uh it was, it was bad um you know I'm not I try and be an upbeat person and uh didn't really understand depression and hadn't really gone through anything like that things have been going pretty well you know in my life up until that point so it was just a lot of confusion and couldn't understand what was wrong with my feet and I I feel like I used to look up at the stands and see 20,000 people there and I just thought you know all of those people's feet are fine why can't I just have a a pair of their their feet so I was really I just couldn't figure out it wasn't a typical injury it's not you know I don't know if any other NBA players have had to retire because of neuropathy and uh, I think you know we're used to athletic injuries that have you know a cast or you know rehab is six months or an ACL there's all this you know what what kind of injury you have and there's a track record and you know when you'll be back and so for me I was just trying to figure out like how do I fix this thing you know what pill can I take what surgery can I have and when I might be back and they just you know the doctors and neurologists unfortunately just weren't able to give that kind of a timeline about you know this isn't something that we typically see athletically and we don't really know what to tell you about what the prognosis is going to be how long it's going to last and when you can get back on the court so it was it was really sort of an unknown and so I went you know I went through a difficult uh, difficult period where I was just uh, couldn't figure out you know why this was going on and and how my career could be ending this way and I was just really starting to get my confidence as an NBA player and so we talked a little bit about my high school career and I was a confident high school player and I knew how important it was to that team and then we get to the University of Washington and after a you know a couple years of transitioning I registered my first year and kind of had a physical change, got stronger, got in shape, and then started to realize, you know, I, I am a good college player and this team depends on me and I know my value and if I can play well, my, I'm gonna give my team a chance to win. And then, you know, you end up in the NBA and I was just—I don't—I don't belong here. I'm not as good as these guys, and I'm playing, uh, you know, against Charles Barkley and Akeem Olajuwon and Shaquille O'Neal and all these guys. And I don't—you know—what I'm just, you know, Todd from Winnipeg. And so I, it took me a little while to get my confidence. And I mean, I—I I did have the skill set, but it's as much a mental game as it is a physical game. I had teammates that believed in me. I had coaches that believed in me. And I think inside, I think I knew I was a good player, but I just had to. I had to change my my thought process. I used to get into the games as a you know as a rookie, and I wouldn't play that often. I mean, I think of, of the fifth big man, I was either fourth or fifth in the lineup, and we had Tyrone Hill and Matt Geiger and Theo Ratliff and. Nazi Mohammed and a lot of bigs that were playing ahead of me. So it was, you know, it was only in certain extreme situations where I would even get some court time and then maybe the big guys ahead of me would get healthy again. And so then I would end up sitting on the bench for 10 or 15 games and I would kind of forget what game action was like in the NBA. I think in, in high school I played every game. In college I played every game. And you, you I think you get confidence knowing, uh, you know, what to expect and you get into a rhythm. And then now if you're only playing you know every 10th game or something it was it was hard for me to go in and and execute. And so I would go into the games not trying to make a mistake. Like, I can't mess up. I got to guard my guy. I got to not make a mistake. And that was my, that was my thought process. And that was, that was wrong. And at some point I I realized, or maybe somebody told me, you can't just, you know, go in and not make a mistake. You've got to go out and impact the game. You've got to get your opponent back on their heels and you've got to force the action and attack them and, you know, make them make mistakes. And so I had, I had the wrong approach. And it took a few years until I kind of figured it out, and then next thing you know, I'm with the Nets as a starter, and I'm starting to get my confidence. Jason Kidd is instilling confidence in me, you know, the coaches, my teammates, and I And I realize, like, you know what, I can be uh, an NBA, I can be a starter. And, and at first, it's daunting, you know, it's one thing to be somewhere on that 12th to 15th man. Uh, and it's another thing to be a starter and think, I'm going to be going up against Shaq one night and then Tim Duncan and Hakeem. And I'm thinking, like I, how can I be the starting center matching up against all these legends? And then you realize it's a team game and maybe, maybe you're outmatched at the center position, but you're going to get some, some help. And maybe there's some other things that you can bring to the table and it's not just a one-on-one matchup. And so... Um anyway it took me it, so my my point is that right about the time I was getting my confidence feeling like I belong I can play in this league I'm a starter I'm having success that was the time when it all kind of fell apart and it just seemed uh, it seemed <laughs> you know, like wait a second this is you know I sh- I'm just figuring this out and I'm feeling like I belong and now this is now this is happening that was tough
2: How bad did it get
0: Um you know bad I didn't feel like eating I think it was probably a week where I didn't eat and I you know, dropped to a, a weight that I hadn't been since I was a junior in high school. So I had no appetite, and you know, just didn't uh, <clears throat> didn't have a lot of joy. You know, I had a hard time listening to the radio in the car because I just, you know, just didn't feel like, uh, just wasn't happy. And uh, so it took a while, and fortunately, the Sixers were nice enough to keep me on as a radio analyst. And in, uh, in that transition of working in radio for the next five years and, and getting ready for the next phase of my life and transitioning from being a player. Um to still being within the organization that i that I loved and being um a part of that family, I think was really key in you know sort of bridging that gap before I moved on to the next phase of my life where you know this is just kind of the new the new reality and so uh that was a that was a difficult time and it it got easier over time and I really started to enjoy uh doing the radio but you know at first i didn't really want to be talking about the game and it was just difficult because it just wasn't a good wasn't a good headspace but uh on the other on the other side a lot of guys talk about the court being kind of an oasis or a sanctuary you know whatever's going on outside you know the court was somewhere that was a safe zone where maybe they didn't have to think about or deal with some of those really challenging things and i think i actually found that as a you know a positive uh distraction a chance to sh- you know shut off you know self you know, self pity and, and uh, worrying about it, and actually just call the game, and uh, and ended up really enjoying my time doing that. And, and each year, it got easier as it as it looked like my career uh, wasn't I wasn't going to get back on the court, and um, and I wanted to try and be the best uh, best analyst I could be.
1: I want to switch gears to, but staying off the court, what was the celebration like after winning Game One Oh One in LA? Uh,
0: that's that was amazing. Um, you know, we're not we're not crack, cracking champagne, of course, but I think we opened a lot of people's eyes. I think as a team, we believed we could we could win. We knew it would be tough. That was a, a very formidable Lakers team. They had proved it the previous year by winning the championship, and I think they'd even gotten stronger. They had not lost a playoff game. They won round one straight round 2 straight, round 3 straight and you know we were sort of hearing people theorize like this is going to be the first NBA team to win the championship without even losing a game and they had a home court advantage and then we go in there and Allen goes for 43 in overtime and just you know he's not listening to all that uh, all that talk and uh, and so by by taking game 1 i think it made people think like okay maybe this is going to be a series and uh and we're going to have another game in LA and then we're going to go back to Philadelphia for 3 um, so, if you know, obviously the home court is is important in uh, in sports, and so if if we could have taken care of business and and won a couple more, we wouldn't have had to go back to L.A. But it turns out that that Laker team was uh, they were they were you know if you're, you're not going to uh, sweep the playoffs in the opening rounds unless you have the ability to go into an opponent's uh, arena and get victory. So that was a um, it was a very it was an awesome game, and it, it gave us a lot of uh, hope and excitement. And unfortunately, we, we weren't able to win any more games that series, and they, and they swept us uh, the, next, the next four. But uh, So there was a lot of excitement in the locker room. But like I said, I think we were all aware that it takes four, and that was uh, we, we took care of our, our job in game one. And, uh, and the Lakers played with a lot of uh, savvy, and they, you know, they recovered from that and made some adjustments, and then they were able to, to, to finish us off in, in the next four.
1: Do you remember anything that, that Allen said in the locker room after that game? I don't and remember anything. I'm, what, what's that? You can curse too. It's fine. Uh,
0: I, um, no, I don't, I just remember the mood being really, really good. And I remember Alan Iverson stepping over Tyron Liu. You know, that's something that I remember about, uh, about that game. And I think there was a lot of excitement for game two. And, um, yeah, I I don't remember anything specific just just guys, you know, we came here. I don't think any, you know, I don't know how many uh, Philadelphia obviously believed we could we could win. I don't know if uh, the rest of the country felt like we could make that a a series or or get a get a win, but um unfortunately there were some close games in that series and I'm not sure that the the final tally of 4-1 was indicative of of uh, some of those games were pretty pretty close.
2: You went for 13-5 and five in that game, too, which is pretty cool against Shaq, considering the way you talked about confidence earlier in the podcast. But I'm curious, just <clears throat> on that topic of confidence and, and and on Allen Iverson, what's it like playing with Allen Iverson on, on a daily basis?
0: So much fun. Um, the guy's incredible. Pound for pound, I think the best player ever, pound for pound, and uh, just has a, an amazing desire and plays every game that is last and sacrifices his body and it just it just killed him to lose so he did everything in his power to will us to victory and he had the skill and the athletic ability and the toughness to do that a lot and so just being on the court with him was uh, was a ton of fun and I, I think at one point somehow we were playing the Raptors and we get out on the break and it's, it's Iverson and I on the break, like two on. Oh, I don't even know how that, how that happened. However, he got <laughs> ahead of anybody and he was in a race to be the scoring leader. I think he may have won the scoring title that year and every point counts and he could have laid it up and he, for some reason he gave it to me and I slammed it down. And I just, I just remember, you know, some of those, those moments of how much fun it was to be on the court with him because he just, he played so hard and, uh, you'd never, uh, he would never quit so he was just he was just a ton of uh ton of fun to be around like a larger than life uh personality that you just he had this you know this uh he just his teammates wanted to be around him you know fans wanted to be around him and uh we we loved him and in philadelphia was a you know a huge reason why we why that team was so successful i think everybody really understood their roles that uh he was uh i think he I think he dunked on me in practice one day i think it was I was guarding for the pass, and he just went straight up and dunked it on me. He's like, "Come on, Todd, Don't oh, you remember at Georgetown? I I could jump. You don't know I could do this." And I was like, no, nah, I, I was pretty well aware that you could do that." It just, <laughs> he dunked on me quite a quite a bit.
1: Huh. you, you ever uh, do you ever go to Fridays with him after a game?
0: I did, yeah. I went to Fridays with him. Oh, well, I wasn't with him. I, you know, when I first got there, I was learning a lot. And they were like, "Have you met Alan?" I'm like, "No." He's like, "Yeah, he's he's awesome." Like, I, I know. And and people get talking about Fridays, and I thought Fridays must be some nightclub or some some prop some popular <laughs> Philly club called Fridays. And then I find out it's, you know, TGI Friday's right there by, you know, calm on City Line Avenue. And then he yes. would hang out. And, and I went there with my Winnipeg friends. And we were sitting in a different booth, you know, close to the bathroom. And so at some point, Alan got up from his group of friends and walked by my table to use the facilities. And we'd been teammates for, I don't know, a month or two. And I would know, loved the guy and have, have, we had a good rapport. And, and I'm like, hey, Alan, uh, I don't mean to bother you. Uh, but can you sign an autograph for my friends from Winnipeg here? And they were like, yeah, sure, man. I'll you know, sign sign an autograph for your friend. I'll take a picture. But he looks at me and he's like, but who the hell are you? And I'm like, what? He's like, gotcha, sucker. I'm like, that is not funny, Alan.
2: You're making me look silly in
0: front of my friends. And he's like, yeah, I'm not sure. But who are you? I'm like, what? Are you serious? He's like, come on, man. I'm just messing with you. Don't take it so seriously. So, you know, I think he – and I used to play around, you know, I think uh, – he was there with his friends, and I think I was there with my wife one night. And we came out, and he was making fun of big guys, he was like, yeah, you, you big guys, you just lumber down the court, and you, you do this, and you, I'm just a big guy post up, and and then I just, I think I did something like, oh, you know, what should I do what you do? And I just like fell, like I just hit the deck outside of TJ Fridays, like go to the lane and pretend to get fouled, and go to the free throw line, and just, you know, just fell down the ground. His friends thought that was kind of funny that I was imitating an Iverson drive, you know, drawing contact and getting some of those star calls.
1: <laughs> so it's uh where were you when you got the call that the nets had offered you six years 34 million
0: i was in england visiting my brother my brother like i said is in the air force and he was over stationed there and i thought it'd be a great chance to uh to go visit him and so i'm uh i'm there and we're negotiating and i'm talking to my agents and they're telling me what they're going to ask for you know the middle of an exception for six years i'm like don't do then they're like, what do you mean? Don't I'm like you. They they are going to cut off negotiation. They're going to end it because you're being unreasonable. Can you just be reasonable? Because I just feel like they're going to just say no. These 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 guys are crazy. I don't want to deal with. It. I'm like, can you just tread lightly and like, look, we're really good agents. We know what we're doing. Let us do it. I'm like, okay, but just can you just not push it too hard? Because if they don't want that number, that's fine. We can take less. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to end negotiation. They're like, just let us do it. I'm like, okay, please. And then they called me, and I don't know what time it was in England, and they were like, we we got it, or you got it, or we, you know, you, you got the mid-level exception, six years, thirty-four. Years. I was like, it was dead. Like I hadn't, I couldn't speak. I, I was, it was like the phone died. And they're like, hello, hello. <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh. I, and they're like, are you there? I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm here. And then my brother walked in, and he's like, hey, is it is it going well? And I was like, just hold on. Hold on, and then uh, you know I ended it with I was like, you guys are the best agents ever. Thank you so much. Like you earned this. You know, you know, you did, you did your thing. I'm like, no, thank you. And then I hang up the phone, and my brother and the, and my brother comes in. He's like, hey, is it all right? I was like, it's stupid. It is. He's like, that's okay, man. You're gonna catch on with the team. Someone's gonna want. Like, no. I go. It's stupid what they want to pay me or what they've agreed. It's stupid. And he's like, that's good, right? I'm like, yeah. It's really good. Couldn't sleep that night. Stayed awake. Big smile on my face. Went out for some. Went out for some uh, Indian food that didn't sit well with me, but I was like, oh, this is, you know, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I just, I think that there was a time there where where teams were paying on on potential and sh- you know guys show promise, and I think it was a big man summer where there was a need for big man, and I played well in the finals, and I think I think you, if you had a chance to get somebody that you thought was going to you know help your team, then then that was sort of the going rate. Right. So there was a lot of you know, there's a lot of questions from people. I think uh, uh, Ramsey. I think on the, uh, I don't know if it was ESPN.com or where it was. It was like most questionable signings of the summer. You know, number one, Todd McCulloch. You know, why would you give somebody like that all that money? And I'm like, I, I totally agree. You know, I, I,
1: <laughs> I mean,
0: I'm right there with you. I mean, what have I done? But uh, you know, it, it, I, I think one of the things. I mean, I'm, I want to do. It's, it's crazy, right? The money's crazy. It's crazy now. It was crazy then. And you just, I just wanted to do well for the people that hired me. I wanted to do a good job for them. I wanted them to feel like I did the job they brought me there to do. And uh, I feel like in my year-end meeting with uh, Byron Scott with the Nets, uh, you know, they'd brought me in as a starter and they'd give me that contract. And at the end of that year, we'd had a successful year. And we went to the finals, and and he sat me down and said, you know, I just want to let you know that you 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 exceeded our expectations. We knew you were good, and uh, and you have exceeded the expectations we had for you. And I just thought, okay, well, thank you so much. That means a lot to me that you guys brought me here to do a job. And all of us are making crazy salaries, but if I have uh, done the job that you hired me to do, and this is the going rate, and I if I've exceeded that, um, then I'm you know I felt like that's what I could control. And, um uh, so I always, I always wanted to try and you know, make the bosses happy and make the team happy. And, and it, it gave me some, uh, you know, uh, it made me feel good that they had brought me in to help, you know, to play that center position and, and, um, and help the Nets get to one of the two finals that they've gone to as a franchise.
2: Well, you were definitely worth it. You averaged 10 and six that year. And Dwight Powell just averaged 10 and five and just got three years, 33 million. So, um, I think you were underpaid for that for that time in, uh, in in New Jersey when you when you played with with Jason Kidd uh, the the passing exploits you always hear about but actually receiving passes from Jason Kidd the, it, how different is it from any other point guard that, that you played with.
0: Um I was it was amazing and I was fortunate that I've had a chance to play with Steve Nash on the Canadian national team. Uh, I think I don't know if I I I can't remember the first time I played with Steve Nash, but it was a real treat. Like as a big man to play with someone that is that good that sees the court, they're doing like 95% of the work for you and they put you in a position to score and with the lookaways, your defender isn't expecting it and if you, you know, you play with somebody like that and you're always ready to catch it, and I think you're a little bit ahead of your defender, and then they basically just put you in a position to be super successful, and they get the you get the jump on your defender, and you just got to finish it. And so when I, you know, I didn't just randomly start negotiating with the Nets. Uh, they had made a trade for uh, Stefan Marbury to get Jason Kidd, and so I I knew that the Nets were interested in me. I also knew that they were going to be a different team than they were the previous year. You know, having Jason Kidd. Running the show there as well as some of the other moves they made Carrie Kittles was coming back from injury And so that's you know my the agents my agents and I were seriously really looking at that at that franchise And I remember uh, calling Steve and saying hey, man I'm thinking about joining with the Nets, you know, or maybe I had signed and said what's it going to be like playing with Jason Kidd?' And He's like imagine playing with a way better version of me and I was like, you know, he's being humble Steve But I was like I would love to play with someone, you know, Steve thinks that uh you know, playing with a way better version of himself. I'm like, if that's what it's like, then I'm sign me up. And so just playing with him was so much fun. These are these are guys that they want to get you the ball. They want to win, and, and they've found a way to do that. And if they have to score, they can. And J.K. was super clutch for us, and, and Nash could score uh, at a whim. And obviously later winning two MVPs, he would, you got to be able to do more than pass, and he did it all. Um, but I, I think there was – I don't know if it was a playoff game or a regular season game. I think it was a playoff game and Jason Kidd before the game was like, Hey guys, we're going to win tonight and we're going to do it without me scoring. So you guys be ready. I'm I'm going to pass extra tonight and we're going to win and I'm not going to get a point. How's that? I'm like, that works for me. So to have someone that's actively looking to distribute the basketball was pretty incredible. And, and so I, I, I took a lot of pride in my ability to catch the ball. And I think the first day of training camp, um, I was, you know, I thought I was ready. And Jason fired a no-look pass that bounced off my hands and went out of bounds. And I knew it was one I could have caught, and I don't know why I dropped it. And one of my teammates that maybe didn't know me or was like, hey, man, that's Jason Kidd, man. you got to be ready. I'm, and I'm like, I'm, can, can I drop one pass? I was ready. I will be ready. And, I, you know, I, I don't think I dropped too many uh, after that. And um, and it was just it was amazing to just – be ready because uh, if he if he was looking at you uh, or wasn't looking at you, you had to uh, you had to be ready for him because he was trying to find you and and make you put you in a position to be uh, successful. And so I always I uh, always wanted to keep the hands ready because he you know he was so good with his right hand, so good with his left hand. And we used to do a drill where the, the strength and conditioning coach would say, "All right, we're running up and down the court. Put the ball in your strong hand." All right, and this time, put it in your weak hand. And when he said put it in your weak hand, Jason Kidd would just run behind the ball, not touching it, refusing to acknowledge that he had a weak hand, and he would just run without his hands on the ball. I'm like, That's pretty cool. That Jason's like, "Yep, yeah, I don't have a weak hand, coach. You might as well call it left because it's not weak."
1: <laughs> I I read, a, I read a quote that at the time, Jay Kidd said that you were by far the best center I ever played with.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a joke when the reporter—I didn't believe them. I think I laughed, and I'm like, what, "Who's messing with me?" I just couldn't believe it. And then, you know, that gets back to that confidence we were talking about. And that was—that uh, was the first game I was with the Nets, and we were playing the Wizards. And it was when Jordan had decided to come back uh, to the NBA, and I was—I missed him. Um, I mi- the year that I came to the NBA, Jordan had retired for the second time, and I thought oh, I missed my chance. He's not coming back again. And uh, and then a couple of years later when I'm with the Nets, he's a wizard, and I get to play against him, and it's his first game as a wizard, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I can't even take my pregame nap. I'm so excited. I'm going to be on the court with Michael Jordan, and and the PR director gave me the microphone. We were playing in Greenville, South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, and it was not an NBA city, and I assumed Jordan had never played there before. So I get the mic to address the crowd before the game. I'm like, hey, guys, I just want to – you know, thank you for coming out here tonight and supporting NBA basketball. And uh, we got two very good teams going to do battle tonight, and one very special player who I believe is making their first appearance. You know, here in Greenville, you know, insinuating that. And then I go on to say a few more things. I'm like, hey, this is my first time in town. You've got a beautiful city. I hope you enjoy the game. And basically saying, I am the special player that you guys have all come to see tonight. I hope you enjoy my performance. And I hope that got across. And I kind of heard the crowd laugh a little bit. And then we go to jump center circle and Jordan walks over and he's like, I like that. That was funny. I'm like, I can't believe you talked to me.
1: Right
0: <laughs> so I'm like, I'm already having a good, Jordan's just complimented me on my weird humor. And I play great for me. I'm like, I'm feeling like I'm doing the dream shake and I'm hitting fadeaways on the baseline. And I'm super excited. And I have, you know my best uh, NBA game probably and and I think it was after that game where where a reporter said hey Jason Kidd just said you're the best center he's ever played with and I'm like what are you who who has he played with what do you, what, what so anyway it was just it, I think he was serious and it kind of blew me away and it gave me a lot of confidence and I, you know I think that first example was me just being so excited to be out there on the court and wanted to prove my worth and I think we played uh, Boston in the first regular season game and and as a starter I wanted to Help, and uh, I think we were up two with 10 seconds left. I got two free throws to clinch it. I'm like, you know, this is, you know, I need to. I got a chance to help us seal this game, and I made both free throws, and we ended up winning. And uh, and uh, I had a friend in the stands, Bowen Karens, who's a, a pinball world champion. And he was he was heckling me. He was yelling at me to miss those free throws, and we became friends. And I said, hey, I don't heckle you, buddy. I don't come to your office and yell at you when you're writing math textbooks. So don't yell at me in my job. But uh, it all it all worked out.
1: And, and at some point we're gonna get the pinball and, and I know we've kept it, you know, much longer than our producer Bruce Bernstein probably told you. We're gonna keep you but the, the first time you saw Jordan then on the court during the regular season, he had forty five, ten, seven, three steals <laughs> on fifty percent shooting from the floor.
0: Uh yeah, he was uh he was he was pretty uh pretty incredible. So he's still he's clearly still had it. And if anyone had any uh anyone had any question uh he sort of put that uh put that to rest um um yeah he was um i, I don't know he, he he certainly had a lot left in uh in the tank and um it was just it was fun to be out there on the on the court with him and i think i don't know if it was that game i think i i blocked him which kind of blew my uh blew my mind a little bit he went up for kind of a jordan s shot and and i and then he I think he went down to try and kind of do an up and under, and I ended up getting my getting my hand on uh, on the ball and blocking. I'm freaking out that I've just blocked Jordan. It's a clean block, and the rest of it called a foul, and then Jason Kidd ends up with the ball, and I'm, I outrun my defender because I'm so excited that I've just blocked Jordan, and Jason Kidd gave it to me as a trailer running down the court, and I felt like I took off from the free throw line. And I didn't, and I I just, like, spread-eagled, and I felt like I jumped three feet in the air, and I probably jumped six inches and did a spread eagle from six <laughs> inches above the ground and then dunked it on the other end because I was just so amped up from, from having blocked Jordan. So I remember that sequence, but he definitely uh, – Jordan lit us up uh, for that one, and later I think we played them with the nets, and we were up 30 at halftime. I think we'd hit 17 of our first 18 shots, and uh, one of the, the the missing shot we had was Jordan blocking one of my shots, which I was, you know, okay with that. You know, let Jordan have a block here and here and there.
2: I, your other your your, uh, your Nets teammate from from that time, Richard Jefferson, I reached out to him to see if he had any uh, any topics that I should ask you about. He said pinballs, which of course we're going to get to. He said that you chose the number 11 because it was a guard's number, so it might make you look fast. And <laughs> yeah, that didn't work. And he said to ask you about your old DVD collection from China. So I'm gonna go with that one. What? Uh, um, what about your old DVD collection from China?
0: Uh, we just I did a, a with the player Association. We did a clinic over in uh, Beijing and Shanghai, and I found uh, pirated and some bootlegged. Uh, uh DVDs that were af- affordable so I thought it was a good chance to you know pick up my uh build up my movie collection not knowing they were you know filled with a camcorder and people walking and hearing popcorn and the quality was not too great so I had a whole collection of uh DVDs from China that really were pretty low quality and were about to valued at the price that I paid so uh that collection is uh, I've I've moved on uh, I've moved on to better higher quality um you know video so that's that's the that's the story there with that that collection. I guess maybe I'd taken some of those on the flights and Richard had probably borrowed some and not been not been happy with the quality of those, so that's probably what that was about.
1: <laughs> All right, so so where are you ranked right now in the the world pinball rankings?
0: Um way down there. I haven't looked recently. Last time I checked I was either 2000 or 3000th. I have a hard time with thousands. Um, I think but, we're but you,
1: up, but you were up. You were up at eighty four in two thousand. I think
0: eighty four, eighty five is the highest I've I've ever been. And uh, we hosted the world championships here. Uh, well, my wife and I hosted the world championships in two thousand and twelve here on Bainbridge Island. We had sixty four players from twelve countries around the world come and compete in my garage and game room and. Basement and all that stuff and at that time I was ranked hundred and fourth I think you had to be about hundred and fifteenth or better to make that tournament and I, I made that when I got my butt kicked So I've, I've been steadily declining. I haven't been playing in as many Tournaments and at the tournaments that I have gone to I have not been playing well and, and some of those uh, clutch situations in basketball when I've been able to respond when my team needed me um, apparently, I realized that's a team game, and I think it was maybe my teammates that were responding um, for me because I, you know, in pinball, it's just kind of you, and I have not necessarily stepped up to the plate. And I get a little nervous, and hands get a little sweaty, and I, you know, for some reason, start freaking out over a $50 prize tournament that cost me like $20 to park. And then one <laughs> of the other times I won, they're like, "Hey, you won!" 30 bucks, but you have to use some of that money to engrave the trophy. So find, you know, a decent (laughs) that's not crappy. And then the less less you spend, the more you save, but don't make it look bad. Like don't find a real cheap engraver. Um, So it's, you know, a little different, uh, little different, uh, you know, dollar signs in in pinball, but it's still, uh, it's still a ton of fun. And so I'm, I'm learning how to deal with pinball pressure. It's just a different, different muscle memory, different, um, you know, in basketball, if you're on the court, you're, uh, you're on the court and in pinball half the time you're watching and you're you can let that get in your head if your opponent is kicking butt and really crushing the machine you can let that affect you or you can try and you know tune that out and play your own game and and just go against the machine. So it's it's really a different game. And I, I thought my experience of playing high-level basketball in front of 20,000 people and playing in pressure situations would really help me. And I thought I would have an advantage in these competitive situations. And unfortunately, it's a completely different game. And I've had to sort of relearn some of those uh, techniques of just... Um, you know hitting your hitting your shot and and having the mental uh, part of the game happen but I'm I've really been enjoying the process but like I said I'm slipping in the rankings but the 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 charts have been growing I think we're up to you know 50 or 60,000 people around the world from forty fifty countries that are playing and it's really great to see that that growth and um so I'm uh, you know I still got some skills and uh, maybe I can uh maybe I can surprise some people again I won one big tournament in 2011 um, where I defeated the world's number one player, the world's number four player, the number eight player, the number twelve player. I think I was ranked 237th at the time, so uh, so it was kind of a bit of a Cinderella run. And I, now that I have did it once, I know it can happen, but it uh, just hasn't happened since uh, since 2011. So I'm, I'm due for a, due for another victory.
1: Well, the number one ranked player in the world I saw is named Raymond Davidson, and he lives in Everett, Washington. Have you ever egged his house?
0: Uh, no, I haven't. He's a really, really nice kid. He started playing in the Seattle Pinball League when he was like fourteen or fifteen or sixteen. He was young, and you know, I just, you know, you, you can't really. It's like ping pong. You can't really judge people on how they look about whether they're good at pinball, right? You can't look at someone and go, "Oh, that guy's good at ping pong." Um, And so Raymond I just I I misjudged him because he was young and so I made it to you know There's probably 50 people at that meet and I got down to the final two and it was me and Raymond I'm like, I'm gonna crush this kid He's he's little and young and this you know This game was out long before he was born and he just took me to school and crushed me. I'm like well You know that kid's actually pretty good and then pretty soon he became the world's number one player I'm like yeah, I guess it's okay if you lose to to Raymond so Seattle is a real hotbed there's uh, lots of Lots of talent here, and I think the world championships a few years ago were maybe being played in Belgium or something, and it was a guy from Mukilteo, which is a Seattle suburb, versus a guy from Edmonds, which is another Seattle suburb. So it was the – we have just got some some killer talent here. And so you go to these world competitions, and some of the Seattle guys are right there at the top, and then you play in the Seattle Pinball League, and those same guys are here like, come on, man. we No one can win anything if you guys are at the stuff. But we're all proud of them, and it's that kind of a community where we're – we root for each other and, uh, we, you, you want to see people, um, excel and get better. And so it's been pretty cool to see the scene develop and some of the, some of the, you know, this, this region of the Northwest has been well represented on the, on the world stage of pinball. And so you learn so much from those guys and they're, they're awesome and they help you with. You know, they help you with strategy and questions, and really everyone mostly tries to build each other up. and and It's about execution. You can talk all the strategy you want, and then it's it's up to the best player to go out there and do it. But it's really it's a sense of you know, largely people sharing information and then just uh letting it all you know leaving it all out there on the on the playfield and seeing who gets it done and who executes the best.
2: A lot of people. Can offer advice and strategy and uh, tips on on playing basketball, but you don't hear very often a tip on becoming a really good pinball player. So if you were going to give one piece of advice to someone in terms of improving their pinball game, what would it be?
0: Um, learning to dead bounce um, that's been something that's really helped me and that's it's it's counterintuitive right when most people I have a lot of people come over here and I want to introduce them to the game and everyone's familiar with the concept and at some point they've played pinball and they just think well there's a ball and there's these flippers and there's a drain and then we want to keep the ball out of it for as long as possible keep it alive keep it not dead and then you start to realize there's a lot more strategy to that. There's an order, there is, you know, shoot this shot, and that leads to that. So you need to aim, and there's vectors, and it's, you know, a little bit like darts, and a little bit like billiards, and, uh, you know, doing those things in a particular order can really, you you can play for a minute and have a huge score as opposed to someone who's kept the ball alive for 10 minutes and is just kind of having the ball go all over the place. So the, the trick is to get the energy out of the ball, and get it trapped or cradled, and then you can hit your shot. You know, imagine in billiards, if you, you line up the white ball and you can take all day, imagine if that white ball was moving around and you had to try and knock another ball into a hole with the white ball in motion. It's It might happen, probably not going to. So you've got to get the pinball cradled, trapped in a position with the flipper up. And the best way to do that is to recognize the trajectory of the ball and if that ball is going to hit the center of the flipper you can resist the natural urge so oh man it's getting near the drain i got to clear it i got to get it away from here get away and uh you just have to sit there and watch the pinball and if it's going anywhere near the middle of the flipper and you don't flip that thing does not go down the middle. It bounces off the rubber. Some of the energy gets taken away, and then maybe you can trap it on the other side. And so it takes, you know, it takes a lot of practice and takes this uh, retraining of your brain to think, you know, what this urgency I'm feeling really, you know, a good good way to practice is to play one-handed. If you put one hand behind your back and you just keep one hand in the middle of the of the lockdown bar and then you react and you move your, your hand to the right or to the left, you inevitably can't get there in time and you start to realize that that ball bounces around a lot more down in that lower part of the play field than you would think and it doesn't immediately go down the drain. And so uh, that's a great way I, I learned that when I had a my first child and I would want to play pinball and I would you know hold my daughter with uh, one arm and I would play pinball the other and I think that actually helped my game. So I uh, learned a dead flip uh pick up a DVD called uh, Pinball 101 that was made by uh, the world's uh you know uh, Keith Elwin is he's not ranked number 1 but he's sort of the consensus uh uh you know one of the greatest players of all time and he did a pretty cool video called Pinball 101 and uh, uh you can pick that up and it makes pinball you know it's it's a kind of a dry thing but it, the video does a good job of really breaking down some of the basics and and um and that I would recommend that to people
1: What's your what's your setup like at home the full game room setup.
0: Ah, uh, it's pretty it's pretty awesome. It's like Chuck E. Cheese without the pizza. And then we just, just order the pizza. A um, pizza. pin uh got a Slurpee machine from 7 Eleven because I'm I really like those. Uh, there's pinballs, there is a skee ball machine, there's an air hockey, there's a an antique bowling machine that's eighteen feet long from the nineteen sixties, there's four Sega Daytona sit-down racing games, a couple sit-down racing games there's a uh, super checks bubble hockey uh there's tons of there's a horse racing game from like the fair where you roll the ball up and you, you talk smack <laughs> with your friends there's you know there's it's it's tum- you guys got to come out will you, will, you, will
1: you send us oh. will you send us a video will you do a? will you pan the room
0: yeah, yeah. i can actually i can actually do that i just uh, i just met a, a new friend i was down in bend oregon and had a chance to go to his uh retro arcade which i just fell in love with it's like 80s music 80s decor 80s games a new pinball and a high scoreboard and i was able to get two of the high scores up there and had a chance to meet him. and uh and i said hey if you're ever in seattle can you you know i'd love to have you you know return the hospitality you've been such a good host here love your arcade you know come visit me and he was like yeah i will and then i sent him a couple videos and he's like i'm definitely coming (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm
1: i'm I'm totally up for it i'm totally up for a road trip what's been the uh yeah what what has been what's the i'd say most aggressive trash talk that you faced in pinball and what was the most aggressive or outrageous trash talk you faced on the court in the n b a uh
0: not a lot of trash talking go, going on in pinball, which is nice i mean people are pretty pretty considerate I can't really think of too many trash talking instances in pinball i I am a horrible trash talker i uh when I was getting my mouthpiece made for the nets, the the woman is like, you know, she was sizing it, and she was like, uh, "Do you want me to cut it short?" I'm like, "What? Why would you cut it short?" She's like, "Well, I just want to know how much you trash talk if you want to, if you need to be able to enunciate, or whether you're not a talker."
1: And I'm oh,
0: like, "Oh, wow." I'm gonna kick your butt. So I, you know, she was <laughs> asking about that, and I'm, I tried trash talking. It didn't work for me. I was playing. Uh, uh Ben Davis was a really good player for the Arizona uh, Wildcats, and I was, uh, he was fronting me. And they they threw it over the over the top. And we he'd been we'd been talking earlier, and he you know I don't know maybe I hadn't showered that day or something. We're posting up, and he's like, "You smell like a horse." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, you play like a horse." And I was like, "Hey, that could actually be construed as a compliment." He's like, "Shut up!" <laughs> so I'm you know I'm like making fun of myself, and so I'm fronting him, and the pass is perfect, and I catch it. Go, hey, yeah, you like that? And then I blow the layup. I'm like, okay, uh, okay, thought is so not working for this guy. Um, yeah, so I did tell. What's his name's? Uh, he was a uh, play for the Celtics, and uh, and he was playing for his national uh, Dino. R- I think it was Dino Raja, I think.
1: Hall of uh, Famer Dino Raja.
0: Uh, I think it was Dino Smoker. Raja. Smoker. And I, Dino Raja. You know, I, I had a little extra. Incentive to try and block him because he was an NBA player and I wanted to try and make a statement. I blocked. Him. I was like, get that shit out of here. And he looked at me like, what? Are I'm like, I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a lot of respect for you. And I, it was just super, super rude. And uh, I dunked on one guy on the, in the uh, with the junior national team. I don't dunk on a lot of people, and I got him. And then I ran back down the car going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And my buddy still makes fun of me. He's like, hey, what's
1: up? Oh, no, oh,
0: no. So, yeah, uh, I'm not a good trash talker, so I just have to to keep it in check.
1: Did uh, did, did KG KG or Shaq ever say anything to you that made you... uh, Oh, yeah,
0: Shaq. uh, Yeah, I'll start with uh, Kevin Garnett. You mean KG or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, he was growling at me. Like he he was making animal noises and I was really confused. Like I don't know if it was a psychology thing. Obviously I have a ton of respect for him and his billy. I couldn't understand why he was making the he's like R-r-r-r-r. And I'm like, this is freaking me out. And then it was an inbounds pass and it was an important possession He's like, there's no way you catch this ball. There's no there's no way. There's no way you're getting this ball. I'm like, I, I'm gonna try and get it anyway Kevin and I went and I got it. He was making animal noises It was kind of crazy. Um, you know Shaq is awesome and uh, we we lost one of those, you know, the, the Nets final games and and uh, I'm in the tunnel it's a home building and he's um, he's getting on the team bus as I, as they pulled around my Porsche and I don't know why I had a Porsche. I can only fit a portion of myself into it. I was, I had to be a comportionist to get into it, but they, you know, valet comes and leaves the door open right in front of me. I'm about to get in it. And Shaq is just, he's just a cool cat, man. And he's like, Hey, Hey Todd, what what are you doing? I'm like, I'm a little starstruck. I'm like, I'm just gonna get in my car, Shaq, and drive. I'm just gonna drive home. He's like, that's not your car, man. Have the van, bell. I made a mistake. Have him bring your car around. Such a car, buddy. And I'm like, it's my car. Bye, Shaq. See you in two days. And I just, you know, I just leave the scene in my car. And then now we jump Center Circle of the next Finals game, and, and we're about to jump. And Shaq looks at me, he's like, be careful. I'm like, be careful. Like, is he gonna? He gonna hurt me? What does he mean? Be careful. And he falls up with, Be careful driving home in that little car. I don't want to hurt. And I'm like, Man, you're cool.
1: <laughs>
0: and then I, I, think, I don't, in the finals, I, I don't know if this is gonna happen, but I hit a, I hit a sweeping hook, and I, I did hit a nice one in the finals because I forgot he was guarding me. And I, I've been a scorer my whole life, and when I get the ball, I shoot the ball. I don't pass it. I had four assists my freshman year in college, five my sophomore year, 12 my junior, and 24 my senior. I did not like to share the ball. I like to shoot it, and that was just ingrained in me. So I get the ball, I forget Shaq's guarding me, and I go into my you know two-step left-hand hook, and I'm like halfway through it, I realize who I'm being guarded by. I'm like, what am I doing? It's too late. So somehow I got it. Just missed his fingertips, and it rolled in, and I was like, oh, I was super impressed myself. We run back down the court and Shaq's like, Hey man, that was a nice shot. I go, I swear it won't happen again. I forgot you were starting. It won't happen again, but thank you.
2: That's incredible. Todd, we, we could talk to you forever. And when we make that road we trip have, up there, which, yeah. which you, you won't.
0: Know, we will have a lot of fun. I, I, I'm going to kind of guarantee that or it's your money back and you don't need any quarters here. So come out here. We'll have a great time. I love I'm gonna, I'm you, gonna,
1: you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fly out in the
2: bathroom. Yeah. Right, I'm just try that. that. Yeah, just for posterity's sake, I, Todd, we have we have one more question for you before I I head up to uh, to Bainbridge Island and have you sign my May 2002 Slam magazine cover. Um, oh, nice.
0: I, oh, that. Do yeah, you guys know that story? You probably, I don't know if you guys know that story.
2: Go hit us with it. Okay.
0: So so I'm, you know I, I'm on the cover of that magazine, right? Because you have it, and I'm actually there. Isn't that awesome? I'm on the cover of Slam magazine, right? So I'm just like, this is awesome. I'm on the cover Slam. I don't, I don't, you know. We've talked about this confidence. I'm like, I don't belong on the cover. This is great, and so, uh so I am i'm reading the next issue i think when when people like they write in and there's editors notes and responses i think i'm reading the next issue of slam and in the fine print at the bottom some reader writes hey how the hell did mcculloch end up on the cover of slam magazine last month and the editor's response i swear to you was yeah we're still trying to figure that one out ourselves and i'm like holy (laughs) holy crap like it's justified i'm not the only one that wonders what i'm doing on there so you know, I I I don't. had heard that maybe, I don't know if this is true, that maybe Slam was like, all right, we want uh, Kerry Kittles and Jason Kidd and Kenyon Martin and Keith Van Horn. And then they're like, whoa, wait, you can take four starters, not five? And I I don't know I, you know, somebody told me that Jason Kidd is like, no, it's all of us or none of us. And they're like, okay. all right, fine, let him in. So I don't know if that's true, but Jason Kidd was super cool. And I could see him doing it like, no, no, no. We're not just going to leave out the little
2: Canadian ah, thing, all cool. right?
0: It's all of us. So that's I think cool. I think they wanted to leave me out, and I can totally understand why
2: that's tremendous oh, speaking then there's of another team.
0: one in, in uh, espn the magazine that's another good one I'm, I'm in the airport i think i'm going to on vacation or something and i'm i need a little reading material at my gate so i pick up espn the magazine and it's not the cover but i open it up and then there's like a, you know a page of like an inset and it's like a a, a co- smaller cover a cover that you know it's just in an inset and it's me during a media press photo where I'm holding two basketballs when outstretched arms with my seven foot wingspan, and it was like me on the cover and uh I was like, well, that's pretty awesome i'm on I'm not on the cover cover, but it's like a cover um shot of it and and then I start reading the headlines and it was like when hell freezes over when this team wins a championship when no. all these things, all these sports things that would never <laughs> occur is when I would be on the cover and I'm like oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> and then my buddy's like, hey, I picked up, Do you see you're on the inside cover of ESPN the magazine? Go, did you read the headlines? They're making fun of me, buddy. And he's like, no, I just thought it was a cool picture, man. I thought that was really cool. To put you on the I'm like, yeah, they were making fun of me. They're like, uh. this, this is not happening. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you want where I get my confidence issues.
2: <laughs> <Pretty clear. laughs> well, Todd, this has been by far my favorite catch and shoot interview. Um, I'd probably speak for Bruce Burns. We won't, tell, we won't tell
1: Tom McGinnis either.
2: Yeah, we won't tell Tom McGinnis for sure. Um, but we, we do like to close it out because it is the, the catch and shoot podcast with a catch and shoot question. So game seven situation, your team's down by one. You need someone catch and shoot to win it for you. Your life on the line. The only issue is you can't choose Allen Iverson, but any other teammate, high school, college, NBA, Manitoba, whatever, uh, who you going with?
0: Uh, let's go with Steve Nash.
2: I love it. I love Why? it. Why?
0: Why? I don't know. The guy's super clutch, and he's super cool. I mean, as as good of an NBA as good as a player as he is, and if you're a two time MVP, you're really good. He's just a better guy. He's just a better teammate. So, love that guy.
1: Well, love Todd, it. this is awesome, and uh, we we appreciate all the time, and we appreciate you going all the way back and and talking about some difficult things and. And uh, we, we hope you have uh, more good days than bad days and, and continued best health to you.
0: All right. Thanks, guys. I look forward to, uh, you know, you guys coming out here and we'll have some fun and keep up the good work. Keep up the good work uh, week. Keep up the good work week and, <laughs> um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. This is great that you're telling people stories and uh, you guys are really good at what you do. So thanks for the time.
1: Well, thank Appreciate you. And, and also, also we hope that, uh, hope that your son has a uh, good first day at Star Wars camp.
0: Yeah, he's his second day. He had a great first day. He was excited to go back. So uh, hopefully he's uh, blasting some people with some Nerf blasters.
2: <laughs> and hopefully he figures out what his last name is,
0: too. Yeah, no, he's got it right. He, he he got it right.
2: I think we're about to go off the rails.
1: I do think we should just get all former Sixers. Although this this stopped our run of 99 Spurs connections. Yeah, that because was Will that Perd- was getting out of control. Right, because we had Will Purdue, at Connection to the Spurs. We had Sean Elliott and Avery Johnson. So this, this put an end to that, but Todd was terrific. So we'll go off the rails with what is entertaining us this week. And I just started the book, so I can't say that it's entertaining me yet, but I've sure. heard so many good things about it. And it's by Daniel James Brown, and it's called Boys in the Boat, Nine Americans and Their Epic Quest for Gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. I've heard all good things about it. I started reading it a few years ago, and then I don't know what happened. I just stopped, so I just started from the beginning. It wasn't like I was 100 pages in, but I started from the beginning. I don't remember any of it, and so far, so good, and probably in about, uh, I don't know, eight months, I'll be finished.
2: Well, I'm or a few years at yeah, the rate that yeah, you were I going last time. Yeah. Um, I, I've only heard great... Great things about the story. So, oh, you've read um, the book? Yeah,
1: of course. Oh, okay, of course. Well, I didn't. I didn't know how popular it was or what. I I don't know. I don't know uh, if it invaded no, made no. It I, out to the West Coast yet. I don't know. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's a you famous seem story about it.
1: Yeah, you've seen. It's a famous
2: story. It. No, I only because I knew that there were multiple. Um, I think there's. I don't know. I I know that there's multiple people that that I. Know who've who've read it and been entertained by it. That's why. And so I
1: weird 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 flex, Adam, that you that you know people who read weird. (laughs) I did (laughs) not many weird. Not many. I got friends (laughs) who can read.
2: (laughs) Um, well, weird flex by you to say that you've read it twice. The first time, something right. Um. I see. I'm not as uh, as cool as you, although I've been trying to read some. Uh, but uh, the I don't know if you've read the book *Sapiens* at all. No. No. It's about like the history of mankind in general, and uh, it's pretty fascinating actually, and sort of why we are the way that we are as a society and everything. But I, it's one of those things I read a few pages and then I put away, and then. Don't pick up for a little while, but it seems really cool because it's a very thick book and seems very academic, so you can impress people when you take
1: it on planes and such. Um, well, you carry a really thick book on a plane? What a waste of space. This is true. This is true. What a waste. What a, what a waste. Uh,
2: but only for uh, entertainment purposes, for those around me. Um, right you don't
1: even read it you just you just leave no, it out on the no on the just tray, impress others table.
2: sure i'm like oh look at this I, I so so i don't even have to tell people i know people who read i i actually look like i i, I read myself <laughs> the yeah, the yeah. one thing that did entertain me this week no while i was uh, away on on a endless vacation as you as you refer to it mm-hmm. uh saw toy story and uh, my little man hudson was the first movie he sat all the way through he went to a movie nice. when he was about th- three months old but um it's he actually watched for a few minutes of that movie and then my wife tried to breastfeed him and then he started crying and then everyone in the theater was like why would you bring a 3-month-old in a movie theater? Uh that was Beauty and the Beast and we made it like 30 minutes in the uh the live action Beauty and the Beast movie. But this one Toy Story 4 was very good. I was entertained. Pixar is amazing. I'm always impressed by what people can do uh in an animated space. So I really enjoyed Toy Story 4. I don't know if you've taken Eden to see it yet, but I highly recommend
1: it. I have it. not, and um, I have not seen any of the Toy Stories. Oh, wow. I know. Wow. I know. So I, so I want to watch Toy Story 1 with her. I oh. have not seen it yet.
2: And let, me, and let me just say, for a guy who likes to cry, and I'm referring to you, not me. Mm-hmm. I cry, but I don't take joy in it, um, uh, as you do every time you watch This Is Us. um. Mm-hmm. The Toy Stories will bring you to tears. I promise you, they they are, they have a lot of heart to them, as they say.
1: All right, yeah, I look forward to it. All uh, right, make sure no, you check out Mike Wise's podcast. Okay, that's on Mondays. He had Chauncey Billups on this week, and Monica McNutt's podcast, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, Pure Hoops show with Eric Newman, BJ Armstrong. So we've got a full complement of audio for you here on Pure Hoops Media. You can do the thank yous. Uh, you Bruce Bernstein, in.
2: super producer, Bruce Bernstein, excited about his Celtics. Uh, Ennis Cantor, Kemba Walker. He's excited about the new look Celtics. How great is it that
1: Ennis is gonna wear number eleven? How great was that it's, photo? It's beautiful.
2: Like Todd McCullough. That's awesome. Um, yeah, everyone on the Pure Hoops media team, Scott Turkin and company, Eric Newman,
1: all those guys. Thank you. And you 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 are you're pumped today, huh? I'm in a mood. I'm in a yeah, mood. Yeah, you are. It's, just like, it's like you flew through the air and smacked your face on a rock or something. What's
2: your deal? When you see your life flash before your eyes, Noah, you take advantage of it on the next Well, how, did, and how could you podcast. see
1: when You must have been blinded by the sun. You didn't have your sunglasses. I'm an adventurer. I'm an outdoorsman. Tell, tell me as soon as Hudson, let's close with this. As soon as Hudson threw your glasses into the water, you said, what the f- <laughs> Come on. you, da- you, you Right? It was some of
2: that, but to be fair, the day before when we went to the pool that you had to take a gondola to at the top of a mountain, and these pictures are incredible. No, I'm going to have to send yeah. you these. Uh, yeah, I bet he, it was kept, he kept throwing my sunglasses in the pool, and it sort of became a joke, so I was almost used to it. It was one of those things like, oh, you wanted to curse, and you wanted to get mad, but you also realized that you made a game of it the day before, and you made a huge mistake, and I'm paying dearly for it now.
1: All right, Uh, Adam's never going to Niagara Falls with sunglasses on. Adam, thanks, pal. Talk to you next week. You're the best. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.